come on in. Um, we have uh, we have a a very um, a well respected and uh, and loved uh, man of God, Harry Velikoop, here this morning with us, and um, I'm sure he'll tell us more about about what he does. And but I want to tell you a funny story. Um, I went to uh, Elam Bible Institute, and when I was there, Harry was one of the teachers. And when we were at Elam, they had a pretty strict dress code about what you had to wear. And so you had to wear, uh, you know, a shirt and a tie to anything like, in, like classes or anything like that. And I remember he was teaching a class. I think it was like Christian world perspective or something like that. Um, and I was in his class. And I remember I came and I was sitting like in one of the front rows of this class. And he's teaching. And I suddenly I realized that I don't have a tie on. I don't know how I forgot. I think I took it off between classes, and I forgot to put it back on, and I had no tie on. And I'm like, oh, no, he doesn't notice. And then he's, te- he's talking about this, and started to te- in his teaching, he started to talk about my parents, who at the time were missionaries serving in Kazakhstan. And so he's, like, pointing to me and saying, you know, this young man, his parents are missionaries. And I'm, like, in one of the front rows, and I'm going like this. I'm like going hoping he won't notice that I am not wearing a tie. And so I don't know if you didn't notice or you didn't say anything, but I never got in trouble for that one. So I figured now is enough time to admit to it. But anyways, um, we want to invite uh, Harry to come and, and share with us. I'll give him a, a welcome. In. Thank you. It's a joy to be with you. Um, I'll move this in the center so I can talk to both sides. Um, I would, I would like to say that the reason I didn't say anything is just because I'm such a merciful person. <laughs> but as my wife will tell you, uh, I, I just don't see things. <laughs> <laughs> she could move the furniture around, and I'd come back and house. I wouldn't even notice. Um, so uh, I want to say, first of all, we have such a great appreciation for uh, Pastor uh, Chris and Karen, and uh, when... Connie and I were students at Elam. Uh, Karen's dad, Brother uh, Edwards, was our favorite teacher, and we just had such a a special relationship with him that later in life he married us and invited us to work with him for the few years he pastored in Toronto. And so we got our feet wet in the ministry uh, as the youth pastors in that church, which was a fairly easy job because there were no youth. Um, there had been a church split before he went there. Uh, but by the end of the year, uh, we had about a dozen youth that were quite active, and then God sent us on to South America. And uh, some of you, uh, so this is my wife, Connie, raised in the jungles of Borneo among a Stone Age tribe, which explains a few things. And, uh, and then later, her uh, parents were missionaries in Argentina, and then we, later, were missionaries in a different part of Argentina and then in Paraguay for a total of 14 years. So as a result, both of our kids spoke Spanish before they spoke English. And uh, some of you probably know our daughter, Chrissy Drew. Our son-in-law is Pastor Matt Drew over at Celebrate, where I taught an adult Bible class this morning and then shot over here. And our son is... Uh, pastoring a, in a 
a Hispanic church in uh, San Diego, California, and uh, just gave us our fifth grandchild out there. So that uh, sort of puts in a nutshell. Uh, actually, teaching at Elam was probably the least of the six different things that I did, but everybody reminds, remembers me as a teacher. Um, and uh, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 14, or turn your Bibles on. And uh, thinking of that reminds me of the young man that his, his pastor was a little concerned about him because he noticed he was showing quite a bit of attention to quite a number of girls at the same time. So he called him aside and he said, you know, um, it's, it's fine that you, you know, show some interest, but I'm not sure it's healthy for you to be showing so much interest in so many girls at the same time. And the young man said to his pastor, he said, well, pastor, you know, there's, there's safety in numbers. And his pastor said, well, there's more safety in Exodus. You need to Exodus, a number of those. So here we are in Exodus chapter 14. Um, and I want to uh, begin by reading. That was a really corny joke, and, but I appreciate the politeness of some of you. For The rest of you just plain didn't get it. Um, starting with verse 1, Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Phi-Herioth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Bel-Zephon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Um, <clears throat> probably most of us have heard of uh, the famous evangelist uh, over a century ago, D.L. Moody, and he had a saying that uh, his favorite text was Isaiah, you don't have to look this up, I'm just referring to it, 12.2, I will trust and not be afraid. He said that is traveling first class. I will trust in the Lord and not be afraid. And uh, he said you can travel first class or second class. Second class uh, would be Psalm 56.3, what time I am afraid I will trust. But he's saying it's better not to be, to just trust and not be afraid at all. But you know, <clears throat> a lot of us, a lot of Christians, think that just because they know the right Bible verse, that it's true in their life. Uh, we want them to become true in our life, but there's things we need to grow into. Just because you, you memorize the Bible verse doesn't mean that it's active in your life. There, there's a process. And uh, so I want to talk this morning about this matter of trust. And really, in my early years as a Christian, and even in the ministry, it was something that I really hadn't thought about. I'd, I thought of trust and faith as sort of synonymous, or maybe trust is sort of a, uh, a lower level of faith. And... Uh, but it wasn't for a long time anything I gave a lot of, of, uh, of thought to. 
And over the years, I have totally reversed my theology on that. I see trust is even much greater, a higher dimension than faith. Because with faith, if you understand how faith works at all, with faith, uh, I get to do something. Because faith always has to result in accomplishing something for God. A, a key link in there is obedience. But you have to have faith in doing something. Um, that's why Charles Finney is the one who's, who began the... Uh, the practice of having all altar calls at evangelistic services to give people the opportunity to do something physical to, to step out and, and say, okay, I'm, this is where I'm making a line in my life and I'm making Jesus my Savior. It can be as simple as that. But with faith, even though it may be something that is tremendously challenging, I get to do something. I get to participate with God in something. And, uh, but, but with trust, I don't get to do anything. What am I trusting in? I just have to trust in God's character. That he'll do what he said he'll do. That he is what he says he is. And I don't get to do anything about it. And that is a lot harder for me. Um... When I got out of uh, serving my four years in the Air Force, which was going to be my career, but uh, during, it was during that time I decided to read a Bible and told God if there was a God, uh, I'm going to read this without questioning anything. I wasn't an atheist, but I was, I was an agnostic. I was waiting for someone else to prove God to me, but I decided I won't go into why, um, but it was because uh, of an acquaintance who was a different kind of Christian than I was. He had a lot of reality in his life. And because of the testimony of his life, I decided to buy a New Testament and read it, which didn't happen right away, but now I was overseas in the Air Force, and, I, and uh, outwardly, my life was really pretty good. I almost felt guilty about it. My buddies from high school were getting shot up in Vietnam, and I was living like a tourist in England. But on the inside, I was constantly more empty. And so now it wasn't just out of curiosity. Uh, I was desperate to find reality. So I told God, I'm, I'm going to read this for one month as though it's true, being big-hearted and all. And uh, But... If you reveal yourself to me during, during these 30 days, I'm yours. There, there's no in-between. It's one or the other. Either you exist or you don't exist. And, but if nothing happens in these 30 days, I'll never set foot in a church again in my life. If there's no God, church is a big game. I don't have time for games. Um, and so obviously something happened. In fact... At that time, I had no one to give me the four spiritual laws or explain, you know, lead me in the sinner's prayer. I didn't even know what those were. It was either God is real, Jesus is real, or he isn't. And so, because I'm here this morning, obviously something happened. And it was about as dramatic as Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. 
I think because I didn't have anyone around to help me through this, God did some extra things. And, uh, but remember, I, I told the Lord, if you reveal yourself to me, I'm yours. And so I'm going to assume, because I absolutely love the military, uh, I'm going to make this my career. I mean, I hated killing in wars, but I loved the military. And so I'm going to make this my career unless you show me otherwise. Well, nothing happened for a few years, so I figured God was in agreement. So I got out, went back to RIT in Rochester to finish up my degree. So if I was going to stay in, I was going to do it as a commissioned officer. More money, more prestige, nicer uniform. Um, and so I went back, did a semester, and one day God said, leave. <laughs> I immediately re rebooked the double. I thought, no, maybe it's just my mind. Uh, whatever it was, I knew this is the end of my plan for my life. This, I was not going to be an Air Force officer. And I, I struggled for three days. My health broke. I couldn't even go into class. Finally, I went into the admissions office and officially withdrew. And immediately felt like I was floating a, a yard off the sidewalk, I thought. Now I have totally gone crazy. I had the Vietnam GI Bill. My college was all paid for. Uh, everything was being lined up. And I just know that this is going to have something to do with ministry. And God's going to make me pastor of some little white church in the backside of North Dakota. And I'll never travel 20 miles again in my life. Because God's mean. If you really total, totally give in, he'll just treat you like dirt. Where do we get those ideas? Because we think God's like we are. It, you know, it just takes so much to get through to us that God is good. What do we think it means when he said he loves us? That he wants to do us dirt? That he wants to abuse us? The thing that I, the main reason I wanted to stay in the military was because I love traveling. I mean, I had a buddy uh, that worked in the tower at uh, my base in England would call me up. He said, hey, Harry, we got a plane going up to Norway this weekend. Get a three-day pass. I'll get you on it. I mean, I flew all over Europe and down into Africa and the island of Malta. And um, I thought, I want a lifetime of this. You see, what God would have, could have said to me if he wanted to negotiate, which he won't, is you obey me and you'll travel until you're sick of it. I am sick of traveling. Now, I love what I do when I get there, but there was a day I'd rather be on an airplane than on the ground. The novelty of that wore off a long time ago. And uh, so I'm still doing it. In a week and a half, I'm taking uh, Pastor Chris Ball, the president of Elon Fellowship, with me, and we're doing a long week of ministry in, back in Paraguay. Uh, a different uh, pastor seminar in a different city every day, and then multiple churches on the, in the Sundays on both weekends. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing that when I get there. I'm not looking forward to all of those hours on airplanes. And the trips that uh, the Schultzes make don't even uh, talk to me about those. At least I have no jet lag on the trips I make. They're totally north and south. But you see how I struggled 
And why do we struggle? Because the first result of sin when it entered mankind was fear. What is fear? Fear is distrust. It's totally the opposite of trust. It's distrust. So we don't even trust God. That was the first thing that happened. And so um, I believe Mo um, Moody was right that traveling first class is not fearing. I will trust the Lord and not fear. But God's got to take us through some things to grow into that. There's a process. And he will faithfully take us through. We, we think of the heroes of faith in the Bible. And we sort of skip over all the errors and mistakes they made. Abraham, the father of the faith, he lied to Abimelech after he already had the promises of God and said that Sarah was his sister, which she was his half-sister. Genetics worked out a little. Uh, the, the gene pools were a little broader in those days. Um, but instead of saying she was his wife, first and foremost, she was his wife. But why did he say that? Because he feared. You know, I, I think that the miracle God did in Sarah wasn't that she was just able to have a baby at, the, at that age. I think she looked beautiful again. Why was Abimelech interested in her? I mean, how many kings would be interested in a 90-year-old woman, you know? Um, God really did a, did a makeup job. And... Uh, so that is why Abraham lied, because he was afraid. So then God had to straighten out that mess. And so right away in Genesis 3, when sin entered, uh, God's looking for Adam and Eve. God knew where they were. They didn't know where they were. And, and Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He was naked all the time before, and he wasn't afraid. Because self-centeredness had entered in. Fear, distrust. And, I mean, just as a short sample, as you, as you go through the Bible into the New Testament, whenever angels appeared to anybody, the first things they had to say was, don't be afraid. When, when they appeared to the shepherds to tell them that the Messiah was, was come, the first thing they had to say to the shepherds was, because they're absolutely terrified, was fear not to Mary. Do not be afraid to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Um, so there is a history of people having to walk with God through trials in one's life of, of people who finally come to be able to trust God. It just doesn't come natural. So if you have found yourself struggling with that sometime, welcome to the human race. You aren't inferior to any other Christian. It's normal. But God wants to take us beyond normal. Um, have you ever found yourself saying this, either out loud or in your mind, God, if you get me through this situation, an impossible situation, you get me through this one, I will never doubt you again. Anybody, you don't, don't raise your hand. I don't have enough hands to tell you how many times I've said that. 
And then I'd get upset with myself because I think, I told the Lord the last time if he got me through that situation, I'd never doubt him again, but here I am fearing again. Is he going to get me through this situation? You see, it just doesn't line up with logic, but our emotions just can't uh, grow that fast. The fact is, God takes us through bigger trials. They're not the same. And if you look back, that thing when you were a young Christian and that impossible situation that God, yes, he got you through, at that time, it looked like Godzilla. Now, if, if you were to have to deal with that kind of a situation, it would look like a mosquito. You just say, be gone from me. But as we grow in our faith and we grow in our trust, God throws more weights on our barbell. And, and faith and trust are something that grow. No pain, no gain. And, and so the things that we, we face later on in life usually are much bigger than they were in the beginning. But they seem the same to us. And that's why we tend to get upset with ourselves. Like, why, why aren't I growing? You are growing. Be encouraged. Now, so it seems that we must ride second class for a while in our lives. What time I am afraid I will trust before we can ride first class, I will trust and not be afraid. God accomplishes this in our lives by creating impossible situations for us not because he enjoys seeing us squirm, because he wants us to grow. He wants us to become stronger. But I don't know what we're expecting, how God is going to do it. We say, oh, Lord, I want to be a stronger Christian. He said, okay, I'm going to put 20 more pounds on your barbell. Uh, oh, my muscles burn, my faith burns, my trust burns. Well, did you want to be stronger or didn't you? So God will put us in, if the first one was impossible, if it's possible to be more impossible, he'll create a bigger one. And uh, take us from situation to situation. And you know in the middle of those that if God doesn't do something, you're not going to get through it. And that's exactly, that's the way we feel. I know I still have more of those waiting for me because I want to grow stronger. But when you've been through a few of those and God has proven his faithfulness to you, it's a little easier to face the next one because you have more of a story now. You can look back and uh, see all of those times that God got you, got you through. This same Moses that we started reading about here in in Exodus chapter 14, uh, look at the ways he had failed. Uh, he already seemed to sense that God wanted to use him as a redeemer for his, for his people, the, the Jews, but early on he took things into his own hands and killed the Egyptian. Every time we try to help God out with the way he wants to use us, we create a bigger mess. Another, another one that, that Abraham was creating Ishmael 
we're still still dealing with that today with ISIS, um, thanks to Abraham, because he was going to help God out by uh, having a son through, uh, through Sarah's handmaid. There's a story of a young man, I think this comes from England, uh, who was distressed about his spiritual life, uh, that he wasn't growing more than he thought he should be. And uh, he confided in a friend. And the friend said to him, did you ever learn to float? He said, yes, I did. His friend said, and did you find it easy? He said, not at first. And uh, his friend said, well, what was the difficulty? He said, well, the fact was I could not lie still. I could not believe or realize that the water would hold me up without any effort on my own. So I always began to struggle, and of course, down I went every time. And then, then I found out that I must give up the struggle and just rest on the strength of the water to bear me up. It was easy enough after that. I was able to lie back in the fullest confidence that I would not sink. And his friend said, is God's word, uh, is not God's word more worthy uh, of your trust than water? To just rest in what God has said and trust that he will hold us up and he, he will fulfill it. This first stage is what I call the trap of trust. The trap of trust. A trap that God himself sets up to teach us how to trust him. And it's not something that's just difficult. It's impossible. It's one of those things that if God doesn't come through, you're not going to make it. And you get into it, and you're, you're thinking, I trusted God going into this situation. If I had known what I was getting into, I never would have, I never would have done it. Well, there you are. And you, you begin to doubt yourself. You wonder if you made some kind of mistake. Uh, when, when God spoke to us that we were to go to Paraguay in uh, 1979, we had been in Argentina for five years. We absolutely loved Argentina. I could live in Argentina and be in Argentina. I don't really need, need a call from God to live in Argentina. I just love the country. And so... The reason I mainly did not want to switch to Paraguay was I wanted to go back to Argentina. And uh, so finally God really worked me over. That, that would be a message in itself, believe me. And uh, so finally uh, I gave in. Connie's much quicker to respond to these things. And uh, so we get there and God had more than in any other guidance uh, I had ever experienced with thinking of manifestations, of people having prophecies and visions. Uh, I, I counted at one time seven things that God did that were totally extraordinary to, to show me beyond a shadow of a doubt that we were to go to Paraguay. So we get there and we couldn't get residency visas um, at first, and it was just one impossibility after another. I said, well, God, you removed every doubt about the fact that we're supposed to come here, but the doors just aren't opening. So we had to go over, 
the border to Argentina every, every few weeks to renew our visas, and it would just take enough time. It was a tremendous inconvenience. And, uh, and then uh, God just uh, brought a, a Christian businessman to us and said, said to me, didn't you used to be a quality control supervisor in some factory in the States? I said, yes. He said, well, we have just officially in our board meeting at uh, Guzman Logunyuk Furniture Factory uh, officially made you the quality control inspector for our company. And, uh, and so we are processing for you to get your residency visa and your whole family. But there are two conditions. Uh, number one, you can't work, and number two, we're not going to pay you. So come here and do whatever God sent you here to do. Uh, who could have thought of something like that but God? Uh, when we're trying to start our Bible school down there, uh, it was like everything that could oppose that opposed it. Even other Christian leaders from Argentina who, through a big scenario, having heard something from someone else, thought we were there with ill, Ill motives, came and warned all of the pastors in the capital city not to send their young people to our Bible school because we were just there to split their churches and rob their young people. Thank you. Um, they didn't come and talk to us. They told, they warned all the other pastors, and we thought these were our friends, and we even invited them out to eat. So it was a hug in the front and a knife in the back. But you know, if God's told you to do something, there's no one that can stop it. And when the day came to start the Bible school, three young men from, from other towns showed up at our house the same day and said, when's the Bible school starting? I said, when can you start? They said, we're here. I said, it just started. Come on in. <laughs> and it started in our house, and then it grew. Uh, and uh, all these other pastors seemed to forget that I was there to destroy their churches, and they started sending their young people. Um, but things just don't always go easy just because God told you to do it. But you have to stand firm and, and keep a good attitude, forgive all these people that are accusing you of all sorts of stuff. Um, you, you start to wonder about yourself sometimes. You know, are they right? No, that, that's not why I'm here. Um, and so... <clears throat> It's, it's sort of like the story of the man I heard of, it's, this is a story, that God told him to climb this tree and, and go way out on this big limb. So, well, God said to do it, and so he gets up in the tree and way out on this limb and looks back and sure enough, here's the devil with a saw, sawing the limb off. He said, I knew it. I knew that if I obeyed God and did this crazy thing, the devil would be there sawing the limb off, and I'm just going to fall to my destruction. And the devil just keeps cutting and cutting and finally cuts all the way through, and the tree and the devil fall over, and the man and the limb stay up. <laughs> How do you expect a miracle unless you're going to let God take you through an impossible situation? We all, oh, I want a miracle. Well, you've got to let God take you into an impossible situation. I don't think that story is really true, but... Um, it sort of illustrates it. So, um, that is the trap of trust that God will 
any number of things like that he'll take us into. And all the time, it's, it's enough that we're dealing with our own natural distrust and fears that are a result of sin. But at the same time, the enemy is whispering in our mind that uh, God isn't going to do anything to help you out of this. He's just going to let you stew in this, in your situation. God's not going to help you. Um, my Dutch grandfather was a blacksmith, and I can just remember, I don't know, maybe I was four years old. It's just like a little black and white photograph in my memory. And he had a little blacksmith shop downtown Rochester, and he would be working on metal. And you know what a forge is? A forge blows air onto the coals to make them hotter than they could possibly be by themselves. And there was this little crank, and I could just barely reach it. And I don't know if he just wanted to let me run the bellows or, or what. But that's what the enemy does. He runs the bellows. You're already in a hot situation, and then the enemy just starts blowing it totally out of, out of proportion. But God's just waiting for his Kairos moment to get you through the situation. And when the enemy is saying that, we just say with this weird prophet in Numbers said, Balaam, if you ever want an interesting person to study in the Bible, this uh, wacko prophet that Balak had sent to curse Israel. But this man really could hear from God. And he said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So that's what we say back to the enemy. When it just seems like everything's going against us, and uh, even though our theology says God's going to get me through this, but our emotions are saying something else, that's a good verse to say. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should change his mind. And secondly, God brings us to what we call the trial of trust. First the trap of trust, and then the trial of trust. The trial is this, the fear that God won't do anything, the thing we've just been talking about. And I'm sure that all of us in this room have sufficient theology to say, no, God would never abandon me. I even heard it this morning. Um, I will be with you always and even unto the, the ends of the age. Uh, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. We all know that. But sometimes in the middle of a situation, your emotions don't know it. And that is, that is the trial. God wants to bring our theology or bring our, our, our experience in line with our theology. See, that's what I meant when, right at the beginning, I said, just because we know the Bible verses doesn't mean that they're necessarily, necessarily realities in our life. God wants them to be realities. But this is the process that he has to take us through. Moses was referred to as the meekest of all men. Um, and uh, which meek, by the way, somehow in our language has gotten construed with weak. Meek does not mean weak. It's the total, total contrast to that. It's what, what it meant was there was almost nothing. Moses did not get shook about anything. 
He could keep his calm in the midst of any situation. But look all God had to take him through to get him to that point. Um, what he had to take the disciples through. You, there's times that, you know, people, no matter where you go, you go into a building, people say, how are you? Well, you know, that happened coming in here. I, I don't want to tell everybody who says, how are you, that I have an extreme case of sciatica with a ruptured disc that's pushing on the sciatic nerve. And I got to consider sitting on airplanes in a week and a half, going down, coming back, riding in cars for four and five hours every day between every city that we're going to be doing these, uh, these seminars in. Um, but when did, this, when did this come? Within a five-day period that I got invited to speak here, speak at the Ethnos Conference next week, at the Elam Church in New York Mills the following week, leave on this, an invitation to go to Peru uh, to, to speak in a conference. Where did this come from? I'm not going to give the enemy the satisfaction. God is going to be faithful. He's going to get me through this. And uh, I'm not giving in to it. And so in the natural, what the enemy would, would like me to say is, oh, I'm not going to be able to do these things. Well, I didn't come this far to back down now. And, and I, this is a trial. Um, this is a trial for me that I'm in right now. But I am, I am trusting God that he's going to accomplish all these things that he is determined to. Um, through me and my, the friends that will be going with me, Pastor uh, Chris Ball, the president of Elam Fellowship, and my son-in-law, Pastor Matt Drew, on this trip. Um, I heard a pastor say one time years ago, he used this illustration, that a lot of us Pentecostals and Charismaniacs uh, were, were like knights in shining armor from, you know, ancient times as long as we're on our white steed in our armor and our lance and we look so invisible, invincible. But when one of those guys got knocked off his horse, even with his lance, they were floundering all over the place. So a lot of us in our Sunday morning service, singing our choruses and hymns of great victory, we're, we're like those knights in shining armor. We can believe God for anything. And then there's Monday through Saturday. A lot of times when we're not on our white steed and we're floundering around trying to get through the week. But God has something better than that. He wants us to be able to uh, move us into that kind of a victory on a, on a daily basis. And we're constantly bombarded by rumors, negative things, um, and uh, global warming, um, and, uh, you know, right now gasoline's pretty low, but, you know, who knows um, what could happen. It could double in price or more, and, uh, and uh, in other places food's a problem, and, and then um, mortgages and, uh, you know, Social Security, the, each generation, it's, it's harder for them to be getting what they've been paying into for years and all these negative negative things and uh, Islam is taking over the world and uh, you know Philippians 4 8 Paul says 
think and speak on whatever is admirable, whatever things are of good report. Well, I've got some good rumors for you this morning. Because I'll tell you what, I hardly even watch the news anymore. Because it's so biased to begin with. News is a business. Do, do you think that those news programs are doing it because you need to know? No. If there weren't, do you think that if they weren't getting big money for putting on news programs, they would do it anyway, just out of their heart because you need to know? It's business. And uh, so I'm going to leave you with some rumors this morning. Uh, rapid fire, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 31, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Luke 20, uh, 12, 22, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be uh, given unto you. But if we're concentrating on the rumors and on the problems, we're not seeking first the kingdom of God. If we're complaining and worrying, we're not rejoicing in him. You can't have it both ways. We can't be doing both things, worrying and distrustful and rejoicing in the Lord. Every day I have to make a decision. I try to make my first waking thought, thank you, Lord. Well, thanks for what? Thanks for anything. Thanks that you're still there. Thanks I'm still breathing. Thanks I still have a roof over my head. There's still a few eggs in the refrigerator for breakfast this morning. You don't have to struggle really hard to come up with what to thank the Lord for. Think on those things instead of all of the threats that are against us. And you know as well as I do, most rumors are empty anyway. Almost anything is true but the rumor. I want to keep going here. Philippians 4, 12 through 13, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I had to decide a long time ago that if the Apostle Paul had to learn it, then I probably need to learn it too. It wasn't because, well, he wrote the Bible verse, but he knew the truth by the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't just because of that. Even he had to learn these things and grow in them. And if I did, maybe you do too. And the last one, Romans 8, 37 through 39, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's uh, go back to and finish up with back in Exodus 14, if you still can find that. 
jumping over to verse 10, Exodus 14, 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, I love Jewish humor. They are the masters of satire. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt you had to bring us out here to die in the desert? If they were New York City Jews, they would have, they would have said, was it because there were no graves in Egypt? Maybe. Mama said there'd be days like this. <laughs> what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better to serve and the, Egyptian, the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Here we are, fear, again, in the midst of a, this wasn't like, like an impossible situation. This is the epitome of impossible. And he says, don't be afraid. Yeah, right. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord, the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, I had read this, and you have too, countless times, and I always had the impression that Moses could say that, don't be afraid, but you, the, the Lord will fight for you, because Moses knew what God was going to do. Like Moses already knew that he was going to open the Red Sea. There is no indication in the scriptures that Moses knew what God was going to do. There's no indication at all. I'd always thought, well, God and Moses had this little secret, and they were going to surprise the Israelites with it. Scripturally speaking, there is no evidence that Moses knew. What was it Moses knew? Because he had grown into first-class trust. He knew that God had something up his sleeve. If God had said that he's going to deliver them, he was going to deliver them, and he didn't have to explain to Moses how he was going to do it. And he can do the same thing in your life and in my life. I cannot help but believe that there are some of you this morning that are facing some, some things of various levels of impossibility right now. I mean, in a crowd this size, there's got to be somebody. And I'm not talking about the daily challenges. We'll never get free of all of those. But I'm talking about really big stuff. Financial, health, relationships. Uh, the list could go on and on. God wants to do this for you. He's got something up his sleeve. And this takes us from the trap of trust through the trial of trust to the triumph of trust. And you know what happened. Moses extended his, his, his staff over the Red Sea and it opened up. And, and God took the whole nation through. They calculate about two million people. And then it closed up on the Egyptians and drowned them all, representing our, our enemy, our spiritual enemy, the devil and his host. And he could say, I will trust. 
and not be afraid. That's what God wants to bring every one of us to. But I don't want you to become discouraged with yourself if you feel you have failed at some points along the way. All of these heroes of faith in the Bible failed. And like was pointed out, uh, the child that fell down on the floor during the worship and the father, was that you? I don't know, it doesn't matter. Uh, pick the little boy up immediately. That's what God's waiting, is to, waiting to do. He's not going to say, oh, how long do I have to put up with you? You know, when Peter, we criticized Peter for having, you know, started to go down in the water when he finally walked on water, but none of the other disciples ever knew what it was like to take one step on the water. And, and why did he sink? Was it because, I believe I can walk on water, I believe I can walk on I can't believe anymore. No, that's not what it says. He looked at the storm, and he feared. That's when he began to sink. And when he sank, the Bible says Jesus didn't reprimand him. It says he immediately reached out his hand and lifted him up again. That's what he's waiting to do for every one of us. What I would like to do, how I would like to end this in, a, in just very short period of ooh, time. Things no more stable than I am. I would like us to all stand, and if there's anyone here this morning, we're just going to make this a group presentation before the Lord, that is, is facing some very serious situations. Um, I'd like you to just come right up now. Don't wait. Just come up, and we just want to pray over you. Is there anyone this morning that's facing, that needs uh, a real invasion of the grace of God? I wouldn't expect it would be everybody, but I figured there'd be some. I'm not going to ask you what it is. So the most needy people are on this side of the church. <laughs> So I just, yeah, oh, very good, very good. But I want you to stretch your hands out to them. We're going to join our hearts in faith and, and believe God, uh, who knows more what they are facing than they do. Lord, we come before you in the authority of the name of Jesus and his work on the cross that stripped the enemy of uh, all his false authority openly and uh, is the authority over our lives. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And Lord, for each of these, your children that have uh, come forward this morning as a declaration, Lord, that they are, as was said, expectant, not only needy, but expectant of your intervention, of an invasion of your grace into their lives to do something supernatural. Lord, for them to experience the triumph of trust and faith this morning. Lord, as I am just symbolically extending my hand over each of these, Lord, extend your hand and seal to their hearts the confidence. Let them leave here today with a sense of confidence 
that whatever the issue is, it's in your hands because you admonish us to cast upon you all of our cares because you care for us. And when we make our cares yours, when we make our problems your problems, then they have your solution. Lord, you're not here to, to just help us solve our own problems. You are here to take the problem, make it yours. You are already the resource for doing this. And we trust you enough right now to thank you for the victory in every one of these situations in Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a hand for his victory. As I was praying that, I was remembering years ago uh, ministering in a church in Oneida, New York, where uh, a lady during the week, uh, we were babysitting this church for a month. Uh, some of you knew Pastor L. Ham and uh, was on vacation. And uh, this lady during the week said that she was uh, a Christian lady, was struggling with smoking. And she didn't want to smoke, but she just couldn't break it. She said, uh, she came by the house and said, what I pray for? And I said, well, we have midweek service tonight. Uh, will you be coming? She said, yes. And I said, well, why don't we pray then when there's an atmosphere of, of worship and faith and uh, a, number, a number of people will lay hands on you and pray for you. She said, all right. So that moment came and I called her forward and a uh, number of the members and we're praying. But the whole atmosphere was this sort of, Sincere but whining, oh God, help me. I mean, there, were, there wasn't a drop of faith there. And I, I got upset with God. I said, Lord, either, either your promises are, are true or they're not. And I mean, it just seems like we're playing games here. There's, there's nothing happening. This woman is getting, isn't getting free. And, and the Lord spoke to me, even with my bad attitude. Um, the Lord spoke to me and he said, I don't want to help her get free of smoking. Now, I'm careful about when I say the Lord said, and he, but this is not a moment I was expecting God to say anything, any less that. I, th I mean, I was like, well, then why are we here? He says, I want to quit smoking for her. That may sound like double talk to you, but there was a huge difference. So I, I stepped back up, for, up to her and I said, uh, you don't smoke, right? I just sort of picked you out randomly. <laughs> and I, I said, the Lord doesn't want to help you to start smoke, stop smoking. She says, what? I said, he wants to take it, and he will do the stop smoking. And she said, oh, and the proverbial light, light bulb went on, revelation, and she was free in that instant. So you see, it's not just play on words. It's truth. When we make our problem his problem, and we come through and casting, truly casting it, giving him ownership of the situation, whatever it is, it will have his solution. God bless you. Uh, where's our MC? <laughs> Tie this thing up. <laughs> um, thank you so much for speaking this morning. I was wondering if we could just take a minute and pray to bless you. It sounds like you have a busy schedule, um, a lot of places to go. And so, and you mentioned some uh, pain you are dealing with. So, can we pray for you quickly before you well, go? I was prayed for, but it's oh, all well, we don't want, we don't want to overpray. No. <laughs> go ahead. So, if you'll extend your hands, 
Um, Lord, we just thank you so much for bringing Harry Belakub here this morning to speak to us and to share to us. Um, and we just pray your blessing upon him, Lord. We pray for uh, healing and for strength as he goes, even comfort um, on the, air, the airplane rides that he's taking. Um, pray that you would just anoint him with your grace as he ministers into all the different churches and areas he's going to be in, Lord. I just pray that you would multiply his efforts uh, by, your, by your anointing, Lord, and just go with him as he goes. In your name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. 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 You guys can all be released. Have a good week.